So before we look into the word, let us all bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, we come before thy throne of grace once more this day. We thank thee that we have a, an opportunity that we can gather together, that we can set apart this time from our busy schedules to spend time in what is really worthwhile, in worshipping thee and looking into thy word, O Lord. Teach us from it. Teach the teacher and teach us all. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. With the Lord's help, um, I'd like to look into, back into the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. Brother Alan had uh, preached from verse 35 this morning. I'd like to go from the beginning, from the first verse. The Gospel of according to St. Mark, chapter 4, verse 1. And he began again to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow, and it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprung up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground, and it yielded fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some an hundred. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? The sower soweth the word, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And these are things which are sown on good ground. These are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, 
and receive it and bring some forth, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some an hundred. And he said unto them, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed, and not to be set on a candlestick? For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And he said unto them, Take heed what ye hear. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath to him shall be given, and he that hath not from him shall be taken even that which he hath. And he said, So is the kingdom of God. As if a man should cast seed into the ground, and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of itself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. And he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God, or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all the herbs and shooteth out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. And with many such parables spake he the word unto them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. May the Lord Bless the reading of his word. This morning I was studying this passage, but it was in the book of Matthew, actually. I tend to focus on Matthew. Matthew seems to be more uh, expansive in his, in his uh, um, re- recording of the events of the Lord. And, um, but I thought for the completeness I'd stick with the book of Mark. So hopefully we've, we will have covered the whole chapter of Mark this uh, this day. But nevertheless, it's the same word, and it's, and it's amazing how, how um, closely these two chapters were recorded by two different individuals. Matthew was a publican. He was a publican in Capernaum, as a matter of fact, the very place in which this event took place, just off the, off the coast, off the shoreline there. And um, he was a publican that that followed Jesus after Jesus tapped him on the shoulder and said, come follow me. Just like that. His real name, I believe, was Levi, but Matthew was his surname or whatever, his other name. And so Mark, on the other hand, is believed to be the, the, um, the disciple of, of Barnabas, and Paul, when they traveled through their journeys, missionary journeys, in the book of Acts. And he also happened to be, apparently, according to legend or according to history, a disciple of Peter later on. And he, it is believed that he actually got this um, um, witness from Peter himself, because John Mark was not there at the time, but Peter relayed this gospel to him. So we have another uh, witness of the gospel and Peter must have had or whoever gave this gospel to Mark must have had a wonderful 
memory, recollection of events because they're so um, tied in, so, so closely tied together. Even some of the wording is very, very close. And we see that in his early ministry, uh, Jesus spent his time up north, north near where he was born, or sorry, where he was raised. He was born, of course, in Bethlehem, but he was raised in Nazareth. And it was no, I don't know if it was a coincidence, when I opened the Bible uh, for this afternoon's message, I opened up to Isaiah 61, which was a, a, another word that was on my mind this morning as I was studying through um, Matthew uh, chapter 13, the parallel passage. And in, in chapter 9 of Matthew, he says that Jesus came to his own town. And if you look at the, the history of events that, that, that came, preceded that, the hometown, it appears to be Capernaum. Even though he was raised in Nazareth, it seems that he always retreated to Capernaum with his uh, disciple Peter. And, and I'm beginning to wonder why was that. So if you go back to the book of Luke chapter 4, you would see that Jesus went back to Nazareth and he preached in the synagogue, his inaugural sermon in the synagogue in Nazareth. And he opened up at the book of Isaiah chapter 61 and he, he preached from the first verse on. And after having read through it, he said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. What was it? The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. And sat down, gave it to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. What is he going to say now? And he began to tell them this day, Isaiah 61, the first two or three verses is fulfilled right in your very ears. And they all bear witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth and said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. He's sitting, he's standing up in a synagogue in Nazareth, where he was raised in his own country, and he says to the people, no prophet is received in his own country. But I tell you that many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when a great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elijah sent, except unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, outside of Israel, if you will, in Phoenicia, Unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. And none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian, another Gentile the outside of the nation of Israel. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. 
Jesus was indicting the Jews in Nazareth, his own hometown, that they were rejecting the true law and will of God. And God, in an indirect way, wasn't a parable, it was a fact of history, he used to prick their hearts. What did they do? And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and they rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill whereon their city was built, and that they might cast him down headlong. They wanted to kill Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. So now when Jesus comes to Capernaum, and it's his hometown, I can understand why. He probably adopted uh, Capernaum as his hometown now because he was rejected by those in the town he grew up in, in Nazareth. And he gets out in this parable that we just read. He began to teach by the seaside and there was a great uh, a gathering unto him a great multitude so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. Now Capernaum is at the top of the lake. There's Capernaum, Bethsaida and then to the, to the uh, west there'd be Nazareth. I'm not sure how many, probably 15, 20 miles. And that's where most of the disciples came from, Bethsaida and Capernaum. Peter, James, John, Andrew, they were up from that area in, in a place where um, even, uh, was it, uh, uh, Nathaniel said, could anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come from that northern part where the Gentiles and the Jews mixed? They were sort of considered low-class Jews. But this is where the disciples came from. And this is where Jesus was raised. It is believed that at about that time, Naz uh, Capernaum only had a population of about 1,500 people. So when a great multitude came out to the lake, there must have been a good fraction of that 1,500 that were there with Jesus at the time. Capernaum actually means the village of Nahum. And now it's probably not related to the prophet Nahum in the Old Testament. But the prophet Nahum prophesied that the Assyrians would come and, 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 and destroy uh, the, the northern uh, nation of Israel and take them captivity. And, but it wasn't uh, named after him. It happens to be a, an Arabic name, as for for that matter. But it was you can see it was amongst this um, crude territory that most of the Jews stayed away from. Can anything good come from there? And Jesus was there. Jesus mixed with the publicans, with the sinners, and he had a heart for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, no matter how lost they were. He had a heart for them. And he took that time where he entered into a ship and faced the nation, the multitude, and he taught them by parables and said unto them in his doctrine, that doctrine there means teaching, as he was teaching the people. 
Listen, hearken. Behold, there went out a sower to sow. And he came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came up and devoured it. Now, the whole intention of this parable is to teach the people a spiritual lesson using physical examples. Christ was a master artist. He could paint a picture like no other to illustrate spiritual examples. And he used his own creation, the very, the very um, things that he had created. This, this is Jesus. This is the Son of God. He is the executor of the plan of creation. Just read it through Hebrews, through Colossians. He created everything that he's talking about. And he said, a sower went to sow. And the, the important part in this parable is not the sower. Because throughout history, there were many sowers of the word of God. So what is the common denominator in all of history about this parable? The common denominator is the seed. That is the most important part. Well, that, that could be debatable, but that is one of the most important parts of this parable. The seed is the focus. You will see later on, as far as God is concerned, the heart is the focus. The condition of the ground in which the seed falls. The seed is always going to be true. The seed is always going to be um, effective if it receives the right ground. So remember, many sowers, one seed. And that, we believe today, the parable is very clear. Um, for the sake of time, the seed is the word of God. That doesn't change. We say we believe that the word of God in our statement of faith is, is from God, it's infallible. The word itself. Man may have translated it differently sometimes. There may have been things put in there that, that doesn't quite convey the, the meaning in different translations. But the word as given by God is infallible. There's no... Is absolutely no fault, is and is perfectly effective. But God made it in such a way that man has to cooperate with the seed that is sown. And the way he does that is how he prepares his heart to receive it. So the first one fell on stony ground. And it said it didn't have much earth, and immediately it sprung up because it had no depth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And the stony ground doesn't mean it was mixed with gravel, but rather underneath there were buried stones. There were slabs or, 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 or stones underneath so that when the sun hits it, it heats up the stone and quickly especially when there's no water, can quickly make that seed to wither, to die. It has no root, it dies. And we've experienced that firsthand in our backyard. Right on top of our septic tank in backyard is probably about six inches of soil. And guess what happens when you don't, 
water for a few days, that square patch dies first. It dies. Now, my wife probably wars it every day, but now it's really green. But that will die. Why? Because the sun heats and, and the, 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 the heated up stone, cement beneath it, kills. It's a, phys- it's a physical example, but showing what happens when the seed goes into shallow ground. In other words, when we come to church, or when we read the Bible, or when we go through life, we may say we read the word and nothing happens. It dies. Do we take time? Do we dig deep to allow that seed to go deep into our hearts? Do we prepare our hearts? And there are many ways that we can prepare our hearts so that it is not shallow, but that the earth is deep and it could take that seed in and the seed can be protected until germination occurs. And perhaps, and maybe there's some overlap in some of these parables, but when we take the word shallowly, that maybe one way is, is shallowly is Reading the word is just another activity in our busy day. Or we read it, we take our five-minute Bible or one-minute Bible. They have all these Bibles you can now, you know, your, your three-minute Bible or your one-minute Bible. As if, you know, you, you, you have your little protein bit and you have your little carbs thing and, and, and you have enough nutrition. Do we really sit and digest the word of God? Do we really sit and try to understand the word of God? Or do we really think that the word of God is only there to help me, prepare me for my secular life, my job? Do we take time to digest it and to, to, to dig into it? It doesn't have much earth. It's only Sundays when we hear it. Is that the only time when we hear the word of God? As much as I'm saying it here, I, I've got to look into my own life and say, do I read the word of God every day and study it every day? And lately I've been so bombarded, and this is going to drop, cross over now into another uh, piece of ground, where there's so many things in this world that take our attention away. And we don't dig into the word of God. Let's go through them and then we can summarize. The next one... The thorns fell among, the, the seed fell among the thorns. The thorns, you know, grow, the weeds, they grow faster than the grass, the good grass that you want. It grows much faster. You look at my backyard, I'll tell you. You can see the dandelions pop up and these other, whatever they're called, they pop up much faster than the grass. And it's easy for them to displace the grass. And if you let it go, and you want to get rid of them afterwards, when you take them out, they leave a huge, big, gaping hole of dirt because we haven't tended the garden as we should have or the lawn as we should have. But he's saying in his parable, the, the thorns, they, they tend to take over and they enclose the seed that should be growing and block it from sunlight and block it from other Maybe take, absorb all the rain 
with their bigger roots and starve this seed and choke it. And the seed dies. It doesn't yield fruit. There's another one that fells that fell on the good ground. Have I, have I skipped one here? Had no depth of earth. Someone was up, scorched. Thorns. The other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprung up and increased and some thir- uh, for 30 and 60 and 100 fold. So the difference between the seeds is the third one here fell on good ground. The ground was prepared. It was prepared through the way we approach it. How important is it to us? How important is the word of God to us? What value can it bring us? Is it more important than all these other things? What kind of an attitude do I have towards God? And perhaps some of the the factors that prepare the word of God are our circumstances in life. When we have everything going for us, when we have all our daily bread, when we have our families, when we have a good job, when we have our entertainment, that the word of God, or God himself, is not that important. And therefore, his word is not important to us. When we have that kind of an attitude, our spiritual state is elevated in the sense that we feel pretty good about ourselves. We feel self-sufficient. We feel that perhaps I don't need God as much as some say I do. And because I don't need God, because his connection to me is his word, maybe I don't need his word. Or I'm afraid to go into his word because it may tell me that I need to divest myself of a lot of these things that I do have. And I don't want to hear it. You know, you have family members. You have, just like I have, family members who don't want to hear the word of God anymore. They don't want to hear the word of God. It's painful for them to hear. Don't, Don't preach to me. That's the saddest thing I can hear. When someone doesn't want to, to um, uh, expose himself anymore to the word of God. Just this uh, afternoon we were talking about a particular person who got married to someone that wasn't from our faith. That person comes to our church when they visit their mother, but he doesn't want to go to the church even though he was raised in the faith. What is it? Are we afraid to expose ourselves? Are we afraid to find out who we really are? Are we afraid to see, as we heard this morning, what we look like in the mirror? I think that's part of it. Maybe a lot to do with it. We're afraid to really see who we are in the mirror of the word of God. 
Some may say, I was born that way. I was born with a stony heart. Or I, I, God made me to have all these lusts and, and cravings for the world. No, now, now he expects me to turn around. I mean, Jesus explained it. The reason the sea's not coming, the reason the sea's not affecting my life, because my heart's like that. I never made myself that way. God made me that way. What did Jesus say? And when he was alone, they were about him with twelve, with the twelve. Asked they that were about him with the twelve asked him of the parable. What did Jesus say? And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. Just, let's just follow what he said later on. This, this is going to even make it even more confusing perhaps to us. That seeing they may see and not perceive, Hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. As if God deliberately withheld explicit, direct instruction to all that heard him because he wanted some not to hear, not to understand, so that they could not be repent and be forgiven. That's what it seems like, doesn't it? He speaks to them in parables. Why? That seeing they may see and not perceive, hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. Well, one, of the, one, one thing that is sure we heard about the incident in, Caper in uh, Nazareth when Jesus went to the Jews. He came unto his own. John 1, 12 says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. He came to them. He read to them from Isaiah 61. He wanted to see them themselves as they really are, or as they really were, in the word of God. How did they treat him? Did they say, is, Lord, is it I? Is that really me? Where, where, show me. Show me where I am. Show me how I appear, appear before you. What am I doing that's wrong? Instead, they chase him out of the synagogue and they want to throw him off a cliff. And they reject him. Now, if you go to the book of Matthew, that's why I like the parallel passage. Matthew chapter 13. Um, after he has, he's told him that, the disciples come to him in, in private and ask him of the parable. I can't find it now, but... They actually go and ask him. In Mark chapter 4, they said he told his disciples. So they actually went and asked him, Lord, explain to us this parable. What is Jesus trying to say when he's, he talks about 
that, that he speaks to them in parables so that they can't understand. You know what? Neither did the disciples understand when Jesus first told him the parable. They didn't understand. But then when they followed him and asked him, he revealed it to them. What does that say? If you go to Matthew chapter 7. He said, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth and he that findeth that seeketh findeth and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. That's a promise. Jesus said, if you don't know, if you don't understand, ask, knock, seek and it will be revealed to you. The difference between the Pharisees that drove him out of the temple or the Jews that drove him out of the temple and the disciples that came to him afterwards was their heart was prepared. They were humble enough to say, God, I don't know. I don't understand. I know I'm a sinner. Please show me the way. And he revealed it to them. He explained to them. In another place, he, he, I forget exactly which chapter it was, he, they asked him one more time and he explained it to them. He says, now we understand, Lord. Now we understand. You see, God is not going to, as some teach, God is not going to zap you from heaven and say, you are now a believer because you're predestined, you're elected, and now you, because you have faith, because I have given it to you, now you can believe. All of a sudden, my eyes were opened. That's not how God works. That's not how God chose to adopt children into his family. God chose to adopt children into his family, those that love the truth, after God has given them enough information and enough evidence that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him, God says he expects you to respond. And when you reject with the knowledge and the truth that you do have and you can understand, then God rejects you. He gives you over. Now, we don't know when that is. We don't know when that is. I can't tell you when that is. But there are definitely scriptures which we can show from the scripture because they love to hold the truth in unrighteousness, because they love to do those things which are inconvenient, because they love God gives them over. God gives them in a judicial um, judgment on this earth. And they don't hear that call anymore. Their consciences have been seared. Their hearts have been hardened. The seed is repelled. It bounces off the hardened heart. That ought to strike fear in us. That ought to strike fear in us and say, God, you've been showing me all this time. I've been rejecting you. I've been turning you away. He explains everything very clearly. As we 
Verse 34 of the same chapter of Mark says, But without a parable spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. He explained it all. I think in that other parable they said, Now you speak clearly. If, if there is such an important um, uh, aspect or issue in our lives that, that, that life eternal hinges on, whether it's going to be with God forever or in the absence of God forever, you would think that we would stop to think. You would think that we would stop and, and ask ourselves, God, what is it that I can do? the Apostle Paul on the way to Damascus said, Lord, who are you that I persecute? Who are you? I'm Jesus Christ in Nazareth who you persecute. But go to Damascus. Go in the street called Straight. And you'll find there's someone there that is willing to help you. He'll show you the way, what I'm going to put on your shoulders, the things that I want you to do to serve me. And you know what Paul's testimony of that was? When he appeared before King Agrippa? He said, oh, oh King, I was not disobedient to that vision. He had a choice. Even after seeing Jesus on the way to Damascus, or not seeing him blinded by the light, but meeting him and hearing his voice, he had the choice to say no to the Lord of the universe. And he said, you know what, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to, the, to that vision. Because there was so much at stake. There is so much at stake, my dear friend outside of Jesus Christ. There is so much at stake to hear the word day in and day out, to read the word, and then to turn your back on the Lord of the universe and say, I've got more important things to do. Like Felix, was it? Or Festus, Felix? Some other convenient day. Some more convenient day. It's not convenient for me now. Don't you know I'm in the middle of my studies? Don't you know I'm in the middle of buying a house? Don't you know that I'm, I'm trying to establish a relationship with a girl? Don't you know? It's not convenient for me now. Oh, if you only step back. If you only step back and see your life flash before your eyes and see the end of everything. You don't, don't think for a minute that your pleasures begin when you reject Jesus Christ. Don't think for one minute that your pleasures, your fulfillment begins when you reject Jesus Christ. That's when they start. I've seen it too many times. Seen it in my family, seen it in friends, seen it in our churches. When people reject Jesus, thankfully some come back. We we're just talking about it today. How how many people have come back at their very late age, but some don't come back at all. What Jesus says to the disciples here, to those that heard him, he said, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. 
And he ends the book of Revelation in the same way. He that had ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What the Spirit says to you now. Hear. Listen. And just follow up. Earnestly seeking what does Jesus mean by what he said now. And you will find that that little light that God has given to you now, by following it, it'll grow. It'll help the seed germinate. It'll begin to spread its roots. And the more you follow that word, the, the bigger the seed will grow and it'll bring forth fruit to, your honor and glory, to uh, God's honour and glory. May God uh, add that which was lacking to him be glory evermore. Amen. Oh, and uh, we talked about the word of God. We talked about the washing of the water by the word. And we talked about how the word of God can um, change the way we think, make us reconsider our ways. If we fill our minds and hearts with the word of God, we talked about purging. We talked about purging, and I couldn't think of a, the, 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 the song, but I found it today. When something is purged, it's killing or you, get, you, you, you cut off like you purge a, a, a grapevine. You take off the dead stuff. You remove the stuff that is a hindrance to growth. The word of God removes the stuff that is a hindrance to God in our minds. We, we become so confused with life. We're not... We're not sure what to do, what decisions to make, what's moral, what's not. The world is giving us this message. Our neighbours are giving us that message. This is what I'm learning at school. And, and you get confused. When we fill our minds with the word of God, it displaces all of that kind of stuff. It sets our thinking straight. It not only does that, but it conditions our conscience the word of God can revive our conscience that was once dead. Paul says in Romans, until the law came, he was alive. He was living it up. But when the law came, he said, sin revived and I died. And he saw, oh, by, that, by that he meant, I felt like death. When I finally saw myself in the real mirror of God, I saw myself as dead. Oh, Wretched man, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And if we don't keep on replenishing um, our mind with the word of God, we can easily get confused. We can easily get scrambled again. The word of God descrambles our mind. It's the truth. And it's the Holy Spirit, through the agency of the Holy Spirit, that we can... Come to that knowledge of the truth. What, is this, what, is the, what are we here this morning? Faith and fear go hand in hand. It says that in Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. If you don't have faith, you need to hear the word of God. You need to study the word of God. And receive it in a spirit of meekness like you don't know anything, like you're a child. And you need to be taught. 
That's the good ground. To, to know that I am nothing and God is everything, all in all. And when I allow the word of God to, 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 to penetrate my mind and to remain in my mind, it'll lead me down the right path where I can believe in him, where I can accept his forgiveness. And the verse in, in, in 41, in the Zion's heart, says, verse 5, Get thou behind me, prince of darkness. No more by thee I'll be enticed. Mine is indeed a perjured conscience, now sprinkled with the blood of Christ. Away, vain world, O sin away. Lo, I renounce you all this day. You keep on taking in the lies of the world, you're going to believe the lies of the world and you're going to act according to the lies of the world. And what's your, what's your end going to be? My dear friend, think about it. What will your end be if you continue down the road you're going? Yeah, you'll have your fun in the sun, you'll have your ice cream and cake, but one day you're going to give an account to Almighty God for rejecting his life-giving seed. To him be the glory evermore.